Welcome to Something Like It Pops List of Palooza, Episode 7. I am Matt Tamanini, and as always, I am joined by Jennifer McHugh. Jen, we are listing things for the final, technically, time this season. How does that make you feel? A little. I'm going to continue to list in the off season just so I can, uh, you know, keep that muscle flexed. But understood. I, I wouldn't have expected anything <laughs> less from you. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ. That's E P O N I N E Q. And you can follow me at B W W M A T T. You can find all episodes of Something Like a Pop, including list of Paloozas and special mini episodes, on BroadwayWorld.com as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please subscribe so that you can get every episode of Something Like a Pop as soon as it's available. Then share the sheer all-encompassing joy that is Something Like a Pop with everyone that you know. Okay, Jen. Because this is our kind of quasi-season finale, it is appropriate that we are going to count down our favorite TV season finales of all time. (laughs) As we've talked about before, maybe it's, you know, I'm very good at remembering people's resumes and what movies they've been in, what TV shows, who they've worked with, stuff like that. It's more difficult for me to remember what happened in a given episode which episodes were season finales or premieres. And maybe that goes with what we talked about last week uh, on Something Like It Pop, that I'm more interested in the characters uh, and the dialogue than the specific machinations of the plot of each episode. So this one, again, shockingly, was a little difficult for me. I assume you already had this list pre-made and you were just double-checking, right? I didn't have it pre-made because, like, as we said, the, the further we go with these list of paloozas, you know, the more specific we have to get. So... I kind of had to go off of my favorite TV shows and then off of my favorite episodes. So it took a little work, but not any work that I did not enjoy. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too. And I I did it very similar to you did. I I went through and I thought about my favorite episodes, checked which ones were finales and stuff like that. And I think independently of each other, Jen, I think we both decided that even if we liked multiple season finales of a specific show, we only picked one from that show. We didn't want to be all overrun by um, episodes of Family Ties. We didn't want every season finale of Family Ties to be on our list. So we just picked one episode, and we might want to talk about some of the other ones if we want to, but for the most part, it is just one episode per specific show. Correct. Okay, how this will work is I will first count down my favorite TV season finales, 10 through 6, then Jen will reciprocate that, and then we will alternate back and forth 5 through 1, and then when we're done, even though this is technically our season finale, we will have a hiatus list of Palooza or 2 or 3, and Jen will unveil our first one at that point. Jen, I'm going to go through, and even though normally we just count them down, I am going to give a little details just so you can remember exactly which episodes I'm talking about and why I like them so much. Um, Number 10 is the episode Quo Vadimus from Sports Night. It aired on May 16th, 2000, and it was the season finale of season two and unfortunately also the series finale. It co-starred Clark Gregg as this kind of secretive, mysterious guy who ends up buying the network that Sports Night airs on and says in a very much... Aaron Sorkin's voice. I, if you can't make money off of Sports Night, you're doing something wrong. Um, so I love that episode. Number nine is Scandals season two season finale, which aired on May 16th, 2013. White hats back on. I can sum that up with one word, and that is dad. <laughs> Number eight is the Americans season two finale, Echo, which has holy, I don't even know. There's so much that happened in this episode, but really, it's the one where they found out that they're comrades their their fellow spy families were murdered by their son after he found out that they were in fact russian spies i love that one 
Number seven is the season one finale, which aired on December 18th of 2011, of Homeland called Marine One. It's the one where Brody is down in the bunker with the vice president. He is a candidate for for Congress at that point, and he has to decide whether or not he is going to detonate his explosive vest or not. Really good episode. And then number six is the season two finale that aired on April 27th, 2009, Chuck versus the Ring from Chuck, <laughs> which is takes place mostly at the wedding of Chuck's sister Sarah and Captain Awesome, and Jeffster sings um, uh, Mr. Roboto to stall some time. It has Chevy Chase in it, it has Scott Bakula in it, and basically it also has Matt Bomber uh, in there as well. It's the episode where Matt Bomber dies, and it is the time when Chuck, after getting the original Intersect out of his head, consciously decides to get the, the new intersect back in his in his head to become an even bigger secret weapon than he already is i love chuck and we don't talk about it nearly enough so i was glad i was able to get that on my list so uh jen what do you got i have to say that i did not put that on my list and i'm saddened that i forgot about it because that is seriously a great one of episode. my favorite episodes of all time the musical overlay of oh. jester during the battles it, it i it made that series for me. We really should. I, I'll, I'll see if I can find a video of that because it is such a great scene. It's such a great scene. And, and you're right. We don't talk about Chuck enough. I feel like it's gotten forgotten. Um, we need to we need to bring it back. <laughs> well, well, I'll start getting some Subway now. <laughs> okay. Um, my number 10 was very recent. It was the season six finale of Walking Dead that I had spoken of. And yeah. I should say that I'm a big fan of cliffhangers. So that factors into my finales a lot. Um, and this had a huge cliffhanger, like I had spoken about in a previous episode, with the villain Negan making an appearance and killing one of the major characters, but we don't know who that is yet. So that was titled Last Day on Earth. Number nine is season one of Felicity. Uh, I was a huge Felicity fan, and this was entitled Felicity Was Here. It was the end of her freshman year. And she had to choose whether to go off on a road trip with Ben or to fly to Berlin with Noel. And we had no idea which way she went. Aww. It just ended with her getting into a cab. And did she did she choose TV's Scott Foley or not? She did not. She chose Ben. Well, I, I don't remember who Ben is, but anytime you don't choose... Okay, well, anytime you don't choose TV's Scott Foley, you're making a mistake. I would have to agree with you there. Uh, season, number eight is season two's Battlestar Galactica, Lay Down Ooh. Your Burdens. Um, were you a BSG fan? I was not, but it seems like something that I would like. I really, I really think at some point in your life when you have time, you should get into it. This okay. is when they um, finally land on a planet and are overtaken by Cylons. I don't want to say too much more because... Yeah, I know there's you, something you, with Cylons and toasters. I know that. Uh, yeah, okay. that's the same thing. Okay. But <laughs> if you do get into it, this is a great season finale. Number seven on my list is season one finale of The West Wing, What Kind of Day It Has Been. A lot of people are a big fan of the season two finale, but I'm a big fan of the season one finale. I, I so don't I'm know sure. who you could be talking about, Jen. I don't know who, but I feel like we'll talk about it later. Could be. Season, the season one finale is um, all we know is that there's been shots fired and we don't know who has been shot. So I'll leave it at that. And my number six is season two of The Office Casino Night when Jim confesses his love for Pam and she says that's not going to happen. <laughs> but it does. But it does. <laughs> so this is a sitcom and we knew it was going to happen. Exactly. Um, whether Rashida Jones uh, gets in the way or not. 
Um, there is a pattern that I've noticed in mine, and and we're, I'm, it's going to repeat itself as it goes forward. But if you noticed, in my first five, four of the five were from season two. Jen, have you seen hmm. – do, does your list have a similar trend in it? Well, I will say that my top three are all season three finales. Okay. For some reason, I noticed that – I have some, like I said, I have a couple shows where I have multiple finales in it. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of the 13 episodes I'm going to talk about were from season two, which um, I don't know what that is all about. Maybe it's finishing up the sophomore slumpy season, which often happens on shows really well. Uh, I'm not sure, but I just, I thought that was, it was interesting. That's a good point too, because you get through the sophomore slump and then you have this amazing finale and you're like, wait a minute, it (laughs) is still good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of a show that... (laughs) Had a sophomore slump. I'm not picking a season two episode. It's kind of been in a slump since season one. And I've not, uh, I can't believe this is one of my favorite shows. I haven't gotten into season four of Orphan Black yet, um, even though we've talked about it and I need to, I will try to do it this week. But my number five is Endless Forms Most Beautiful, the season one finale of of Orphan Black. It aired on June 1st of 2013, and there is a bit of recency bias here, if you've noticed most of mine have come in the last five or six ten, to seven years. But this is the episode where I mentioned that I don't remember a lot of the details of the plots. I remember a lot of moments from shows. So when, when we, as we talk about this, whether it's the Jeffster thing that I talked about, or, or Olivia Pope calling Rowan dad, and we finally realize that the head of B613 is is her dad. Those are moments. Those are things that I remember. There are a number of really cool moments in this um, season one finale of Orphan Black. It includes Allison letting her frenemy Ainsley die as her scarf gets caught in the uh, in the the sink disposal. Oh, yeah. Um, Sarah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Sarah shoots Helena um, after she finds out he was you know she was doing all this stuff, and it's when Cosima and Delphine uh, break the code on the genome that says that. The, the clones and anything that comes from the clones are restricted intellectual property. And Sarah walks away from Dyad after they thought they were going to bring her into the fold. It was just a really, really strong episode on an incredibly strong season. As I've said, I think the season one of Orphan Black is one of the best seasons of, of thriller TV that we've ever seen. Seasons two and three weren't as great. So I'm hoping, Jen, you've been watching season four, haven't you? Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. I just don't know what's happening. (laughs) Well, I'd never know what's happening, so that's fine. But Orphan Black season one uh, finale, endless forms, most beautiful is uh, is Tatiana Maslany at her best, and she's so good playing all these different characters and making them so different and unique. And I I love anytime she gets the opportunity to do that with some really cool moments, and you see the gambit of what. Tatiana Maslany can do in this episode. So that is my number five on my list. Okay. What do you got, Jen? Number five on my list is season four of Dexter. Hmm. Uh, That's called The Getaway. Uh, Were you a Dexter fan? Uh, I was not. Okay. Well, this is the best season of the show. It's John Lithgow stars as a sociopath. (laughs) And if there's one thing he always (laughs) doesn't he always play a kind of a crazy guy. But he can just as equally play like a charming fellow. like, And I think that's what makes oh, yeah. him so good at being creepy because you think of him as a charming fellow. And then he turns around and is a serial killer. Mm. And this, I guess since it's 10 years ago, we can't call it spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, season four is Dexter has finally defeated him. He is the Trinity killer. And he uh, basically gets home and finds... 
he has sent his entire family away. You know, he's trying to go up against the killer and he gets home and realizes that his wife didn't get the message and he comes home to find her in the bathtub dead. And she was the final Trinity killers victim before Dexter got to him. So and real quick, was... if you don't watch Dexter, basically correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, the premise is that Dexter is a serial killer who goes out and kills serial killers. Yes. He's a blood spatter expert. So he knows exactly how to set up a crime scene and not leave any evidence behind. And so he is kind of, um, what is it called? A vigilante vigilante. Thank you. And, when people get away with things, he goes after them and makes sure that they're, well, dead. <laughs> that they don't um, get away with it. <laughs> every season he comes up against, a, you know, an adversary. And season four is this John Lithgow character called the Trinity Killer. And he's his, he's just diabolical. He's a preacher. He's a wonderful family. And he's a... Wait, oh he's a God. preacher? Yeah. Scary. Please it's so scary. Please tell me his name is the same as it was in Footloose. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it's too bad. Missed but, opportunity uh, there. Yeah. And, um... But it's really it's it's just it was one of those horrifying moments where as you realize what's about to happen, I, I stood up off my couch and was like, nope, 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 <laughs> as I was walking towards the bathroom, and it was shocking. So that was my number five. All right, good. Um, my number four is the complete opposite of that on the drama <laughs> scale. This is one of those where I had two episodes that I I really this was actually the hardest for me going back and forth. The other times I included two episodes, which we'll see here in a little bit, were a lot easier for me to decide which one I liked more. But this one was tough. This one came down between the season two finale and the season three finale of one of my favorite shows of all time, uh, and that is um, Friday Night Lights. Season mm. two finale is is may the best man win and that is again the moment is when smash gets into college and he tell, goes and thanks coach taylor and then tells his mom he's going to college i'm getting choked up just thinking no, about it and, but i went as on my number four with the season three finale tomorrow blues which is kind of the the end of the original class transition because that's how i break up friday night lights is the original class and then the new class. You know, it's it's Smash and Street and and Riggins, and even though they bleed over a little bit, and then you go into uh, Michael B. Jordan's class, the second class. So this was kind of the end, and this is the the moment to me is when Tyra reads her college essay, and I think Tyra Adrian Padalecki is so underrated on this show. She got overshadowed by all the other performances, and that her reading her college essay is. It's just so much. I mean, what I loved about the show is it can find new ways to make you cry every week. And it's a cry that you like having because it is so based in love and in emotion almost every time, whether it's the Taylors, which, you know, we've talked about how much we both love the Taylor family. Um, but I really enjoyed this one because it, it showed Tyra with a little help from Landry being able to hopefully accomplish the dream that, that she's had her whole life and that's to go to college. So I'll see if I can find a video of that college essay, but it's, um, I, I love that episode and I love Friday night lights and, uh, I wish there were more, was more of it than just five seasons. I wish it was one of those shows that ran forever, but it's, uh, it's pretty special to, to go back and look at some of these episodes. Me too. I love that show. Yeah. What do you have as number four, Jen? Um, my number four, and I don't know how much you know about it, and I know you're going to take on this show, so I don't want to reveal too much, but it is season four, Breaking Bad Face-Off. Okay. Go ahead. I mean, look, it's my fault for not watching. I, I tweeted about this the other day, is that I know that if I don't watch something live, it's my fault. I don't, I know, people shouldn't go and spoil things for people on purpose, but besides that, if you choose not to watch it live, it's your own damn fault. 
I agree. I mean, I think I would I would give it the night, you know, because sometimes if sure. it's at 9, I'll watch it at 11, and I don't need someone from Florida tweeting at 6.30 that Sorry. Jon Snow died. I did not do but that because I don't care. I know you I know you wouldn't care. But, um, yeah, you should have seen this by now, and if you haven't seen this highlight, then I don't know how you've missed it, but it is an epic moment in not only Breaking Bad but in television when um, Walter White finally is able to to bring down the drug kingpin Gus Fring. Um, I can't describe the scene because it's inexplicable. It's something you have to see. <laughs> but it was a moment of pure shock. And that's, uh, was... that's Giancarlo Esposito, right? That is correct, yes. Didn't they – okay, I'll let you finish, and then I've got a question that I want to talk about. Sorry to the interrupt. The title of the episode is Face Off. That's okay. All, say. <laughs> all right. Good to know. And I'm sure there was some chemical involved in that too, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see. Okay. But I really, really want you to watch that at some point, and and when you get to that episode, you'll understand why I'm being careful about it. But I understand. That's my number four. Well, and, okay. And and you, we've talked about before. You recap um, um, Better Call Saul for us, and I believe that this character, Giancarlo Esposito's character. Um, appears in season two of Better Call Saul, correct? He does not. Oh, he does not. Um, but the man who brings him down does. Hector Elizondo, nope, that's the actor, but his name's Hector. He winds up bringing down Gus, and him, as a younger man, has been appearing in Better Call Saul. Okay. Now, there have been theories that there have been little Easter eggs. Yes, I've seen that. It. That's where I was getting to, because the first letter of each episode name spells something like... Correct. Gus Fring is alive or something. Gus, or Fring's Gus Fring is coming. back or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even the creator was like, I can't believe the fans picked up on that. So <laughs> he's basically said, well, yeah, he's coming. So there have been hints with uh, mystery help and these little Easter eggs along the way that people are like, I bet it's Gus. So he's coming, and we're all very excited. Yeah, that's good. All right, cool. Number three on my list, again, I'm going to one of my favorite shows where I was very tough for me to pick between two episodes – I came down between the season one and season two season finales of The West Wing. Jen's already talked about season one, what kind of day has it been, which is just magnificent. I mean, it's the, you know, it's a, it's a TV show about the president. At some point, there's going to be an assassination attempt. Um, that just happens. And you don't know who was shot. You know, someone was hit. It's a great episode. Jen mentioned it earlier. But of course, as she knows, because it is one of my favorite episodes of all time, and in fact, I'm kind of surprised it's this low, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's this low. I have it as number three, even though it might be my favorite episode, is because I think season finales have a very specific responsibility. They have a they serve as a way to be a bridge between seasons. And as great as two cathedrals, the season two finale is, which I'll talk about here in a second, it is more or less a a culmination of season two it doesn't do a whole lot to set up season three um, which i think is a responsibility of season finales that's why even though it, it is probably my favorite hour of tv ever it's not higher on my list but season two again talking about moments and episodes is the time when after uh, mrs landingham's funeral the president clears out the national cathedral and martin sheen goes on to basically for lack of a better term you know cuss out god in latin and it is just so moving. And I took two years of Latin in high school and don't know a single damn thing that he says. But it is just so well acted and so emotional. And there's so much going on uh, in this episode. And then he goes straight from the cathedral to the press room. And it's raining. And then he 
confronts you know the, the the questions about his health and it's just so uh it's so great and and i love this episode and um jen i know you liked season one better which is hard for me to argue because that's a great episode too but for me season two's finale of the west wing two cathedrals is uh is number three and it's a pretty epic episode yeah i can't argue with you yeah, either it's, which i love to do but yeah like you, you often talk about Sophie's choice. It's like there's no wrong answer. It's just you know it's a personal preference because they are both exquisitely made hours of television. That's true. All right, what you got for three? I'm wondering if this will appear on your list. I don't know, but my number three is season two finale of Alias: The Telling. No, I was not an Alias person. Uh, oh. I I love obviously JJ, and I remember at the time having a huge crush on Jennifer Garner, but it was not a show that I ever really got into. Well, I had a crush on Jennifer Garner. Everybody did. And (laughs) and how can you not? And still to this day, I do, because she's an amazing, not only is she beautiful, but she's turned out to be an amazing human being and a a great artist as well. So even in those commercials. You you know the basic premise. Yes. You know, Sydney Bristow recruited at college. She's a spy. A pilot episode, she finds out that this organization she's been working for, SD6, is actually the bad guys and the FBI is trying to, or the CIA is trying to recruit her to be a double agent, which she winds up doing. Her handler from the CIA is Michael Vartan. Mm-hmm. Who she was married to for a while. Yes, who is, uh, his character's name is Vaughn. It's a lot of will they or won't they in season one and two. At the end of season two, they finally get together. In the finale of season two, they finally get together, and then the last scene, she wakes up in an alley in the middle of Thailand. Oh. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what happened. She goes to a hotel room, and Vaughn shows up, and he's wearing a wedding ring. And she's been out for three years as she's been kidnapped. Oh. And he's was told he was told she was dead. He got married. And she has no recollection of what the last three years of her life has been. Wow. And that's where it ended. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. And, and and actually, even before I even really knew the premise, the reason I was first interested in this show is that her father – on the show is played by the great Victor Garber, who is yep. one of the musical theater's iconic actors. So who's now on the CW's DC Legends of Tomorrow. So, all right. It's I love that... Victor Garber. He's the, uh, for me, he's the original Jesus in, yes. the, in God's Bell. And the original uh, John Wilkes Booth John from, Booth. from yep. Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. And mm-hmm. he, was in, he was in Art, the original Broadway production of Art by Yasmina Reza as well. And uh, he doesn't do enough theater. He needs to do more. I'm getting on that train. He um, needs to do everything. Let's that's be true. That's true because he pops up in everything. He was the captain on uh, in Titanic. He shows up in a lot of TV and a lot of movies and some bit parts and you know some supporting roles. And uh, he really is fantastic. And uh, he's a he's a good Canadian and uh, and uh, he mainly lives up there. So that's why he does a lot of TV stuff that films in Canada. But you know we love Victor. All right. That's yeah. and that and that's one that's another show that if I ever have some time, that's one that I would go back and watch just because of how. You know, revolutionary that was. That show led to a lot of what we see in TV today. It was as kind of cheesy and, and melodramatic as it was in the day. It really did set the stage for a lot of the shows that we know now that probably wouldn't have been possible without what J.J. Abrams did with, with Alias. As well as uh, breaking through Bradley Cooper. Oh, yeah, that's right, too. Very cool. All right. Number two on my list um, is the season two finale. That aired on May 23rd, 2014. The episode is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is going to be Japanese, I believe. Mizumono. Do you know what that word is by any chance? No. Neither do I. It's some Japanese food because this is the season finale of Hannibal. 
they, as you know, Hannibal, based on the Silence of the Lambs, you know, stories and novels, uh, focuses on Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham, who is the FBI agent who is kind of tracking him, but it's kind of not. He doesn't know who he is. And it's, it's, there's a lot of will they won't they in this one too, um, for a lot of different reasons. And every, the first season, every episode was named after an Italian food in the second episode and second season, all the episodes were named after Japanese food because Hannibal Lecter is a cannibal. This is the season finale when basically it comes out that Hannibal Lecter is a fact is in fact a serial killer. Will Graham, who is played wonderfully by Hugh Dancy, who's now on the path, which we've talked about recently, um, you know, decides he can't continue this back and forth relationship with Hannibal. And he decides he's going to take him down. Jack Crawford played by Lawrence Fishburne, you know, decides to go take care of it himself. And he gets there and Hannibal knows. And then everybody, you know, kind of ends up destroying each other. And in the end, of course, Mads Milkinson, you know, who plays Hannibal gets away with Gillian Anderson of X-Files fame. It's just a great episode. It's very tense. It's one of the most t- intense episodes of TV I've ever seen. And uh, Hannibal is a show that is was unlike anything else. What Brian Fuller was able to do with the visuals of that show, um, I don't know that anyone else could really get away with on network TV. It was so unique and so artistic, um, even when you're dealing with a serial killing uh, cannibal which is kind of incredible. But I loved season the season two finale of Hannibal. Monsieur Monon. Is that racist for me to say it like that? No. Okay. So that's that's my that's my number two, Chen. What about you? My number two, I'm going to go super old school. Oh, wow. MASH? And it, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I knew one of us had to do it. I had just a good guess. Yes, season three finale of MASH called Abyssinia Henry. Oh, man. Do you know of this episode? Uh, I do not. So Colonel Henry Blake has, I don't remember what the circumstances were. He's either been released or he's been transferred, and he is leaving the 4077. So he comes in. He says goodbye to everybody. Everyone's emotional. Everyone's joking around. Everyone tells him to, you know, get the hell out, blah, blah, blah. Very end of the episode, Radar comes into the emergency room and announces that his plane has been shot down and he's been killed. Ouch. Yeah, I remember sitting there watching it with my brothers and my mother and everyone crying. So it was one of those early childhood memories of what television can do and, you know, showing the real effects of war and um, getting emotionally attached to fictional characters, even though that they can be representative of actual people. And it was a traumatizing yet powerfully impactful moment in my life. Yeah, it's one of those shows that has gone on to be you know, a, a touch point for a lot of TV fans. Obviously it ran forever. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of people were able to watch it and enjoy it, but it was just so uh, unique in its storytelling and the way it was able to blend comedy and drama. So, uh, so good for MASH. I, I, I'm glad that it was able to find its way onto, uh, uh, onto this list somehow. Yeah. All right. I keep the seventies alive. <laughs> well, considering I wasn't alive in the seventies. Okay. All right. Well, okay, Jen, before we started recording, I said I thought that you and I had a very good chance of having the same number one. You said there's no chance. Which I misspoke. Now that I think about it, it, it might be. Okay. Well, coming into this, I thought there was a very good chance. In fact, I would have put money on it. <laughs> this is one of those shows where I picked two. I had to pick two 
uh, season finales, but I will go with one. The one I did not go with was from season five, which aired on May 13th, 2009, and that was called The Incident. Jen, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, in The Incident, we find out that um, a guy named Locke and a guy named (laughs) Linus decide to team up to go find a guy named Jacob. And then we also find out that somehow back in time and there's time travel, this group of people who were living in 1977, even though they're from modern day, might have caused the incident that they've been trying to produce, trying to prevent in the present for the past five seasons. Uh, this, of course, is Lost, and that makes my number one favorite season finale. God damn it. <laughs> the season three finale, <laughs> Through the Looking Glass, which aired on May 23rd, 2007. Jen, it seems like this might be your number one as well, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay, I will let you, since you are an obsessive <laughs> Lost fan so much that you have the Dharma logo tattooed on your arm, um, I will let you kind of explain it, but when it comes down to it, this episode is the Not Penny's Boat episode. Yeah, I mean, when people talk about Lost being a great TV show, I feel like this is the episode that you should point to. It is the episode where Charlie dies, and I think one of the best things I thought was about it was there was always... There was so much chatter about Lost all the time. Everyone's like, oh, Charlie's going to die, Charlie's going to die, Charlie's going to die. And they opened the episode with him almost dying, <laughs> and he's brought back. So immediately as a fan, you're put at ease. You're like, see, it was just a rumor. Everything's fine. And it's not. <laughs> um, but the way he dies is is what makes this so impactful. I don't even know if I can talk about it. It's been like 10 years, but... I can handle it if you want me to do it. I won't yeah, cry. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Basically, nuts and bolts of it is is that Charlie um, decides to more or less sacrifice himself for the good of the group, and and he goes into this. Was it a? I don't even know what it was. I mean, he basically went out well, a hatch into the an ocean. Underground, yeah, yeah, an underground hatch or an underwater hatch, I should say. The swan. Yes, the swan. And and again, you will remember the details much better than I will. Um, he goes out and. He comes back. I don't remember why he went out there. I forget what the actual details are. But he, in going out there, he finds out that this boat that they think is coming to save them, sent by the character Penny, um, who was Desmond's long-lost love, is the but that's not actually what the boat is, and that they don't know who these people are, and they very well might mean them harm. So he writes not Penny's boat on his hand and sticks it up against the glass going back into the hatch. And and at that point, you're like, holy crap. The tank fills up with water and yeah. he just, I mean, Desmond's literally got his message and then has to sit there and watch him drown. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Ugh. Okay, well, why you do that, as important as that is, to me, why this episode is so incredible is, is that Lost, from the beginning, used flashbacks. It used flashbacks to tell the stories of how people got on the plane in the first season. In the second season, it you know told about their lives back before they were they were stranded. Mm-hmm. And we see throughout the second half of season three, Jack is is having some some issues. He's drinking. He's grown this really kind of gnarly beard. He's addicted to oxycodone. And through this whole thing, we figure he's he's going to meet somebody. He he appears to be ready to commit suicide. And then he he meets this woman in a kind of deserted 
road, she gets out of the car, and it's Kate. And it turns out that what we've been seeing for weeks, if not months, have not been flashbacks. They were flash-forwards. And that's when Jack tells Kate, we have to go back. So instead of everything in this show working towards them getting off the island, we now know that at some point, not only do they get off, but there's at least one of them who wants to go back. And to me... Season three was a little bit hit or miss on Lost, and that's where I think a lot of people left the show. But when you're like, not only do you have the incredibly emotional thing of not Penny's boat and Charlie dying, but when you're like, holy crap, they have been doing flash forwards this whole time and we didn't know it. This makes everything we've already seen had take on such a different dynamic. And that's what got me back into watching. The, I mean, I didn't stop watching, but it got me back into being super excited about it for the next, you know, three seasons. It was, and I... I used to watch it with a group of people. We would meet every Wednesday night to watch it. And it was that moment of everyone realizing what we were witnessing. Like Jack and Kate, they're standing right next to the runway at LAX. And if you think we haven't reenacted this scene every time we go there, you would be wrong. But the second you realize, oh, my God, they're off the island. Like this whole thing has been about them trying to get back. The level of silence and awareness in the room – it just completely changed the series yeah. and went, and it was it was such unbelievable writing and i think we take it for granted nowadays because you know people are kind of you know incorporating that into a lot of tv shows now but this was something Nine that years we had ago. seen before yeah. and you know setting all these precedents and you're seeing all these you know the way they're executing all this plot with um the flash back and the flash forwards and then at some point the flash sideways mm-hmm. and <laughs> It was just such a well-constructed show, and I, I still really, really love it. And um, I still can't talk about that episode. That scene <laughs> with Charlie is so heartbreaking. Well, and you know, it was we talked so about well done. Yeah, we talk about Alias, and that was obviously a J.J. Abrams show. And even though um, Lost was essentially run by um, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, it was still created and executive produced by J.J. Abrams. And and even though he was not necessarily involved on a day-to-day basis with this show this has his storytelling along with damon lindelof's and carlton cues who go on to make continue to make fantastic tv carlton cues's new show or not new show but the show he's working on now bates motel is having a fantastic fourth season mm. jen and i we've talked plenty about damon lindelof's show the leftovers but the, that trio of people have really revolutionized what tv is and and i think the influx of complicated characters and anti-characters not only owe a lot to the sopranos which is where i think it probably actually started in the late 1990s but to having interesting storytelling and emotionally complex characters this owes a lot to lost too and and i don't think that it gets as much credit as it deserves because there are still a lot of people who don't like the finale interestingly enough i interviewed uh, uh, last week uh, Michael Emerson, who played Ben Linus, and we talked about the finale, and that'll be up in an interview here coming up in another week or so uh, on Broadway World, and it's about his uh, the final season of his current show, Person of Interest, which is another show that I think is underrated. But it's a, that episode, I think, has turned a lot of people off to the show and remembering how great and how revolutionary and how important it was to the development of TV. I agree. Um, I'm a finale defender, <laughs> so I will go at anyone who comes at me, but... I, as a whole, I think the series, like you said, it just really set a precedent for the way we watch TV now, and it has such a high bar, and there's so much high expectations to the fact where, you know, all these, you know, to full circle it back to our our main episode, um, all these theater people are now TV's the place to be. Yeah. 
And, you know, when I was growing up, TV was the low, you know, the redheaded stepchild. No, you're right. <laughs> but it's very respected, and I think um, Lost started some of this boom. Yeah. Well, and, and and the reason that I got to interview Michael Emerson is because he is a theater guy. And I got to tell you, Jen, he agrees with you. He is a staunch defender of the series finale of Lost. So... Well, I knew I knew Michael Emerson and I had a lot in common, but this makes me certain. <laughs> Him or Ben Linus? Well, let's just leave it at that. Okay. All right, Jen. Even though we announced on our last episode of Something Like a Pop that we're going on a mini hiatus, we are still having episodes over the summer. They just won't be uh, every week. It'll be every other week. We'll do a regular episode, take a week off, have a list of Palooza, take a week off, do a regular episodes. So we'll still be here during the summer to round out officially season two. Um, even though we're considering this kind of, I don't know, we're just kind of making this up as we go along with season finales and stuff, but we are going to have a list of Palooza coming up in June. Jen, um, why don't you tell us what that list will be? Well, uh, let's move back into the theater world since it is Tony season. And, um, how about we talk about our top 10 favorite all time performances on the Tony awards? Oh, okay. So let me ask a question. Is this performances, Overall, just show performances, just opening number, closing number performances. What does this encapsulate? What do you think? Do you want to do Tony moments or do you want to do Tony performances? Um, I don't. Uh, Tony moments is tough because then you start throwing in like acceptance. <laughs> well, no, then you start throwing in, like acceptance speeches and stuff. I it's your list, so this is you are the you are the judge in this. Um, you are the judge, John Hodgman, uh, in this decision, <laughs> but. I would probably say it's okay to include performances, whether they are from a show or not. If they're opening numbers, if they're closing numbers, I'm okay with including those. It it means we're going to get a lot of NPH, <laughs> probably, definitely, which definitely. is okay. Um, but I'm okay with including them if you want to. But I'm also fine with it just being show performances if you're more comfortable with that. No, I think it should be uh, Tony Award performances Okay. overall. I'm good with that. I already know what mine is. I tweet about it every year right before the Tonys. I tweet out the video. Um, It is by far my favorite. It'll be interesting to see if it's on your list or not. I have one of those as well. Okay. So Cool. Thanks for listening to Some Like It Pops list of Palooza Episode 7. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SLIP Podcast. You can follow Jen at Eponine Q. And you can find me at BWW Matt. Also, follow Broadway Radio on Twitter and Facebook at Broadway Radio and subscribe to the Broadway Radio Superfeed on iTunes and Stitcher. This is a really big week for us over at Broadway Radio. Don't miss out. We'll be back later this month with a brand new Tony-centric episode of Some Like It Pop and the aforementioned list of palooza of our favorite Tony performances. So, until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world. Season 7? No, not season 7. God, why do I keep doing that? (laughs) Okay, okay. Hello? Damn it, the mute button. Hector, I, I can't get Elizondo out of my head.